Ingram Smith, Bud Elliott, back again for another episode of the Nolcast. Bud, as always, thanking our friends Louisiana Hot Sauce here at the top of the pod. Uh, title sponsor for the Nolcast, fantastic uh, partners for us. I will tip of the hat to people who uh, have Publix as their uh, main supplier of groceries that uh, Louisiana Hot Sauce is on sale for... I uh, believe the next six days. So uh, great sponsors for us, great partners for us. And uh, as always, thank you to the people in New Iberia, Louisiana. Absolutely, man. Great sponsor for us and, uh, and great folks over there and a great product, right? Like I use that stuff on everything. I made a really good uh, egg and bacon stack the other day, trying to watch my carbs as I go into a football season. You know, got to be on TV a little bit more and, and do all that stuff. So, you know, got to be looking right, Louisiana hot sauce. Zero carbs. If you're into that keto craze, it's it's very keto. Um, the other stuff, maybe not so much. So we got a lot to talk, a lot of lot to talk about tonight, man. Yeah, a lot to talk about. A lot of uh, little grab pieces of information uh, here, there, and everywhere. We won't spend too much time on anything. Uh, ACC Media Days has taken place. Uh, a lot of coverage of that from various Florida State outlets. Uh, and uh, it's not as though we're going to skip it entirely. Uh, but we will try to find one or two things that maybe haven't otherwise been uh, thoroughly talked about. And uh, one of which, Bud, I, kn- I know kind of stood out to both of us. And that is the... Uh, when the individual players were doing some of the media rounds, they spoke about they spoke about leadership, and they spoke about leadership uh, from an individual that I think you can be both legitimately encouraged for, and also uh, maybe have some real concerns as to what exactly that means. And specifically here at the offensive line position, Marvin Wilson was asked, Tamari and Terry was asked, and, and I'll credit Jeff Cameron because uh, I heard it on on his radio show. Uh, when he was talking to the players, I said, who's really the leader emerging in the offensive line? And Marvin said, oh, it's this freshman. They call him Pope. He's really, he's the guy pushing everybody. I was like, wow, okay. Like, is he just trying to give Dante some love? Obviously, look, Dante is a guy who has pushed himself, right? When he was at IMG, I had a source tell me he was 370-something. He showed up Florida State this spring ready to work at three, three, three and a quarter. He's now down to 315. So he, he's clearly shown he can work himself. But apparently he's pushing out there and, and during weightlifting and stuff and motivating others during conditioning. And uh, and so I'm, I'm very encouraged by that for the long term. Now, I thought, well, is it just Marvin said? No, Terry comes over and says the exact same thing, unprompted. And I don't think they're sitting next to each other when they're doing the interview. You know? I mean, it was like, damn, okay. So I on the one hand... I'm like, okay, I'm pretty encouraged by this. I think this is a good thing. Now, on the other hand, you got 15 guys on, on this, this roster to play offensive line who are not true freshmen. Is it a good sign that none of them are getting named as, a, as the leader? Can you have a true freshman be your leader? That That's a little bit concerning to me in the short term. Now, I think everybody out there knows my feelings, and I think your feelings about a lot of players on this team who are not – in Willie's recruiting classes, and that, that I, I'm skeptical as to how much they're going to contribute. So for the long term, I'm pretty happy. But does this bother you a little bit too for the short term, like it does me, or concern you a little bit? Yeah, uh, absolutely. I think there's a very valid point to be made that wish perhaps that uh, other people with more seniority uh, would take that mantle. I also think that. Uh, I think that the game kind of recognizes game, and uh, there's not a whole lot of, <laughs> unfortunately, right now, uh, there's not a whole lot of game in in some of the more senior members of the offense line. And I, I think uh, Lucas 
stands out. I also want to take a quick second here and think that it's fantastic that the uh, internet nickname for that kid has now permeated to, to, to the point to where his teammates have picked up on it as well uh, regarding the Pope. But uh, I think uh, I think it's not too hard to look at Lucas and see that he's got a, a future in football that not many other people in the offensive line uh, for Florida State have, particularly some of the upperclassmen. So um, I share some of the concerns. But I think uh, long-term, it's a great thing. And, you know, we've certainly talked a lot about individuals along the offensive line the past couple of years have been tagged with that leadership role who just weren't physically able to live up to that level of play. And uh, Lucas will make some mistakes. Lucas uh, is not going to come in and set the world on fire as a freshman offensive line. Uh, but you know in time that that's a player who, if he continues to mature as a leader, uh, has the ability to have the play to pair with that type of leadership. And uh, it's not a great thing for 2019, but I think it, it certainly is a real positive thing for, for later years of the program's development. There's no doubt. I, I've been critical of the staff in terms of their ability to, to bring in the real high-end talent. And that's fair, I think, and it's borne out by the numbers. But, man, I am very encouraged in the long term in terms of the, the quality of kid they're bringing in. Right? You talked a lot of these kids. They're very impressive. They do seem to bring in kids who actually like football. I know this is a big thing that, that Chip Kelly – and I talked to a guy on Chip Kelly's staff this summer a lot about what they're doing in recruiting. And he was telling me basically – you know, they don't always agree with the recruiting rankings, but they really it, it really does matter to them to get kids who, who like football. Right, because there's so many distractions out there, uh, and the best of both worlds is that you get kids who like football who are also really, really talented. Florida State needs to do more of that. But we talk about the floor being raised, and and I do think they are raising the floor quite a bit with this most recent class they just brought in, because you got a lot of guys in there who actually do like to play ball and are competitive and don't like to lose, and really they enjoy competing and working and getting better. And they're not just me, me, me guys. And there's way too many me, me, me guys on this team in order to have a winning program uh, in the last couple of years. I'm encouraged by by them raising the floor. My, my concerns about the, the overall talent level in, in the end are, I think, still there. But, man, I Pope's one of those guys, too, who I think actually does have some nice top-end talent. And I think they're raising the floor of this program. I, I like some of the things that are happening here. Another thing that was uh, mentioned at Media Days, and again, not something that we'll spend a lot of time on, but uh, one thing that really stood out in Willie Taggart's conversations, and I don't point this out as though it is a uh, blank check to exclude, excuse last year's uh, shortcomings, uh, nor is it something that anybody's going to be concerned with if we sit here and this team is at you know, three and three for the first six games of the season. But I do think there is some legitimacy to the idea of uh, that Willie's had nothing but kind of rebuild projects throughout his career. And that maybe there was a little bit of a different dynamic that even he didn't realize when you're, when you're replacing a fired coach or a failed coach uh, versus replacing a coach who willingly chooses to leave the program uh, and leave the program that he sat in front of all those kids in their living room and, and ultimately played a large role in, in getting them to uh, commit to and, and attend that university. I think that's exactly right. Um, look, I think he knocked this this media appearance out, out of the park. Now, last year I thought he mostly did too, except for the fact that he said the no turds thing last year. And this year, I, this year there weren't any sort of things that made me cringe, at least not immediately. Now, maybe in hindsight – after this year, we'll look back and say, oh, damn, he shouldn't have said that. But 
I think last year at, at this event, there were actually some things he said that we, we cringed at at the time, right? And I haven't seen anything new here. I totally agree with you that there is a little bit di- different dynamic when you have a coach who leaves as opposed to a coach who was fired. I, I think he said most of the right things. And, and look, it's it's talking season, so people are like, well, just win some games. Well, yeah, there's no games going on right now. So we're going to evaluate you based on what you say and uh, the, the message you project. And look, he was very positive and upbeat, and he – he better be, right? They have to sell some tickets or, or at least try to. Uh, I, I think he did a good job up there. The players represented Florida State really well. Marvin Wilson could have a career in broadcasting, by the way, w- once his NFL career is done, if he wants it. He is uh, – I've known that for a long time, but he's he's starting to show that even more publicly, which is pretty cool. Yeah, he's a sharp sharp kid with a lot of confidence in himself, uh, carries himself really well. Uh, so no surprise there that uh, – that he was able to uh, show that to a little bit more of a national or, or regional media. But we frequently talk about uh, the fact that we're fortunate to be able to draw upon your responsibilities as uh, SB Nation's national recruiting director, and tonight will be no different. Uh, it's my understanding that you were uh, down at IMG today. Is that right? I was. I was down at IMG's uh, media day, and they start practice uh, next week, and got to see all, all the kids down at IMG, and uh, they actually got some recent transfers in too, so it was, it was really worth my time to go down there. And, and they're, they're really a first-class organization. I, I like going down there. Um, but Florida State actually has two commitments on on, on that team right now. Uh, Josh Griffiths, who I got to see, Josh Griffiths, who uh, had, you know, transferred in. This is actually his second year there now, and uh, I, I think he's he's a guy who's growing on me a little bit. Um, speaking of growing, he's actually growing. All right, Josh Griffiths is getting bigger. And you probably think, well, Bud, yeah, he's a high school kid. Of course he is. Now, I'm, I mean, legitimately, y'all, I, I've you know, stood next to this kid when he's wearing the spandex Under Armour stuff. You know, you get a pretty good idea what a guy's body looks like. And gosh, that quote could sound pretty bad taken out of context. But anyway, uh, he's a lot more Jack now than he was, I think, when I saw him back in February at, at the, uh, the Under Armour camp in Orlando. I said, how, how big are you now? He's like, I'm 6'5", 245. And I, as I'm standing there talking to him, he says, yeah, they're going to use me as kind of like a rush end, like they use Brian Burns. And I'm thinking, okay, yeah, I, I, I could see that some. But in my head, I'm thinking, yeah, what I really could see is him playing on the other side, not off the tackle, but as, you know, on the other side of the defense, kind of more that that boundary spot and, uh, and, and really potentially being an asset against the run. Because I'm looking at him, I'm thinking, man, he's – He's 245, and like you said, 6'5", and hell, maybe he's just 6'4", but like he could be 270, 275, I think pretty easily. I'm trying to, I'm trying to remember what they actually got him at when, when, when Nike measured him in at uh, at the opening camp. So they had him at uh, 6'4", and 237. So maybe he's grown half an inch and put on eight pounds in, uh, in the last four months. Potentially, sure. Anyway, he looked he looked better, and if he keeps his athleticism at, at that size and keeps getting bigger, I think he could be a guy who is a, a valuable player on your defense. Not like a huge difference maker, but a, a guy who could be a little bit better than I first thought. Um, because when I was looking at him before, I was like, well, he's not that explosive as a pass rusher, and he's not that big. But now he keeps getting bigger. And so my mind changed, I think, as an evaluator. That's something you have to be willing to do when a, when a kid's body changes, but when he starts looking a little different, you have to evaluate, you change your opinion a little bit. So, you know, good visit with Josh. 
he's definitely not the 6'3", 220 that he's listed on some of these sites anymore. Yeah, yeah, I think that's a big deal, and it's a kid who I, I think you're fairly confident what you're going to get uh, from a motor perspective, not to just throw out every cliche in the world, but uh, I think that's a high motor kid, and if you continue to have a frame that grows and uh, a body that maybe gives you a little bit more flexibility where you can play them, then that becomes a lot more uh, important of a get than, than maybe we would have classified uh, two or three months ago even. Especially if they start playing more with that 3-4, which is something Willie did not want to talk about uh, at uh, no. at AC Media no, Day, but I had I had numerous national people text me like, "Hey, do you have any ideas as to what I should ask Willie?" I was like, "Well, we could talk about maybe some multiplicity on the defensive line." And about thirty minutes later, I'd get a text back like, "Evidently, not something he wanted to discuss." So, oh hey, w- okay. Uh, another thing from IMG, by the way, I spoke to Michael Redding. Remember how I told y'all a couple weeks back when he committed to Miami, kind of out of nowhere that uh, that. My FSU guys were telling me they, they thought it was because of the engineering issue. Well, he actually went totally on the record with that today. I said, hey, like, if you hadn't gone – because he, he was like uh, – I was talking to what put Miami over the top. And he was talking about their coaches and all stuff. And, and really, they had their aerospace engineering program, which he really likes. And as you know, Florida State's engineering program – we have a lot of engineers listening to the show. And they don't like when we say this. But FSU's engineering program has been a real obstacle for Florida State to overcome in recruiting for a while. It's actually not on the campus. It's shared with FAM. Uh, it's this thing that's pretty easy to, neg- to negatively recruit if you're an opposing school. I would certainly negatively recruit Florida State for that if I was recruiting against them. Uh, not that Miami did that. But anyway, I, I asked him, I said, so like, you're pretty set on, on being a, an aerospace engineer. He's like, yeah. I said, so would you have gone out of state to Purdue or Notre Dame if, if Miami had not come after you? He's like, yeah, yeah, I, I think I would. And as I asked him, because I knew we liked Florida State a lot, because we had previously talked about it, I said, so what about Florida State? He goes, them just not having my program of engineering was really the deal breaker. So there you go. That's actually the kid on the record, on the recorder. Uh, I'll probably write a story about it. Uh, if you guys really wanted to know, they did not get Michael Redding. Florida State does not have aerospace engineering. He's a pretty bright kid. And a lot of people on Twitter were very cynical about this. But look, this is what Florida State told me, and then this is what the kid actually straight up told me. So that probably puts that to bed, I would say. He's not sure if he'll take any other visits, by the way. So it's not like, hey, I'm, I'm definitely going to take all five, uh, that type of thing. And he did confirm that Miami came on for him pretty late. So in my mind, this is kind of like, man, I could stay in state and go to Florida State, or I could really do what I want to do as far as aerospace stuff and go out of state to Purdue or Notre Dame. And then Miami comes in and offers him, and it's kind of the best of both worlds, right? You get to stay in state and play at a high level, but you also get to do your your, your major. So it's a no-brainer, and he goes ahead and jumps on the offer. Yeah, uh, good for that kid. I saw you put that out, and uh, interesting to get an inofficial confirmation on that. Uh, one other prospect that you did get to speak with, uh, my understanding, Florida State commit, uh, Alex uh, Aktovich. Uh, oh, yeah, how we, asked, exactly we asked him how to say it. it. Uh, yeah, we asked him how to say it. It's uh, Alex at cabbage. At cabbage. At Easy cabbage, enough. Yeah. Um, good looking kid. We spoke about him probably about a month ago. When did he commit? Like end of June, right? Uh, it was one of my first episodes back after after uh, after my son was born. June 27th, I believe. So uh, I, I said, hey, like I've read some stuff about you. This is the first time I met you in person. How much weight did you lose? Like, how different are you now physically than than wherever you came from? Uh, and, and over what time frame was that? And he said, well, 
basically I lost like 50 pounds over 18 months. So I guess he was like 330 something It's the start of his freshman year. And then by the end of his sophomore year, I think it was um, of football, he was like 275, 280. Now he's, he's added some good weight back. I think he's like 285 now. Pretty, pretty like mature, advanced kid. I can definitely see why Florida State took him. I, I want to see him play more in pads. And uh, he spoke about, look, you know, being an IMG, being able to face all these, all these really great defensive linemen they have here, and they have a couple kids who are, are nationally ranked. And, you know, Josh uh, included in that uh, has helped him a lot because the competition level he was getting up there in Pennsylvania was not that good. Um, you know, I said, what has Florida State told you about playing time? Because obviously last year they had arguably the worst offensive line in the, in the major conferences. And uh, he said, no, they, they told me uh, – that there's a chance I could have early playing time, but there's also uh, a chance that I'll redshirt. And look, it's we're going to do what's best for me and what's best for the team. So if I come in ready to work, there's a chance I can play early. Uh, but if not, then I'll, I'll you know, take, take a year in their weight room and, and, and be ready the next year. They like him at guard, he said, but potential to play tackle. He basically told me they're, they're recruiting him and Zane Herring, the two guys who are committed, uh, more at guard. And uh, but with one of them, the potential to play right tackle, he told me that he, he likes Randy Clements. And this is something I, I wanted to ask him about because, you know, Clements is new and hasn't really recruited in the state of Florida very much. He said, you know, Clements is pretty casual uh, as far as he doesn't blow up his phone constantly, probably texts him every other day. Uh, but, he, but he likes talking to Clements on, on the phone. He said it meant, meant a lot that Clements actually offered him, according to him, uh, when he was on vacation in like Montana or Wyoming or something quote so somewhere up there in the mountains right that's a large swath of the country <laughs> but uh but but he said it, it meant a lot to him that, that clements offered that he also told me the schools that were on him the most before were were minnesota and nc state and louisville and of course louisville took nc state's offensive line coach um gosh i, I know the guy now his name escapes me but uh i that's pretty encouraging for me i i've noticed it in my job uh, that Louisville has done a pretty good job off, offering kids, or excuse me, uh, NC State has. And now uh, Dwayne Ledford is the coach who, who left NC State for Louisville. Uh, and Minnesota has also done a good job identifying kids early. So uh, Florida State, certainly when, when they took the kid, it seemed like they were very much out on a limb. But I don't feel that they're maybe quite out on a limb quite as much. I'm going to reserve judgment as to how good of a player he is until I see him play against some, some of these elite kids. He would like to go to Saturday Night Live this Saturday. Uh, last year, IMG wouldn't let any kid vis- kids visit anywhere. Remember this this whole drama thing? IMG said they can't visit anywhere, and yet all the kids went anyway. Uh, this year, IMG has decided not to do that policy. <laughs> uh, so as long as your parents sign the permission slip, you can go off campus. He's hoping to get a, a ride with uh, with Josh Griffiths' mom uh, to come up for Saturday Night Live, and it'll be in- interesting to see him go against some top kids there. Because uh, I really haven't seen the kid in pads in person, so I'll be I'll be excited to see him. Obviously, he won't be wearing pads, but you know, can actually watch him move against some some top level kids. There would be pretty cool. Anyway, uh, he told me he's really working hard on, on some offensive tackle targets. He realizes Florida State needs offensive tackles. Think about that. Look, that that's good. That that recruits are aware. Uh, you do need that that position. That is one of the positions you have to fill. Um, if you don't. See also the 2018 season. <laughs> and uh, 
hopefully not the 2019 season. But yeah, uh, he's working on that, and he wants to get on the board uh, and and get more commit than Jeff Sims. But Sims has a 3-0 lead in that department right now. But anyway, I I came away fairly encouraged after talking to him. You can generally tell if a recruit's got a good head on his shoulders for the most part from talking to him. And uh, he seemed like a bright kid and, and, and a kid who I'm now feeling a little bit better about their take of. We uh, we'd planned to touch on the Jim Levitt rumors real quickly, and we will still do that. Uh, I'll just throw a little bit of a radio tease here, and that uh, Levitt will be discussed in the first of our listener questions. Uh, before we get there, bud, Kelly Campbell is uh, somebody that was recently hired. Uh, we'll just spend a couple minutes real quickly, give an opinion on that. Yes. So we discussed on the show I think many times that there are a lot of folks on Twitter, not a lot, but like four or five people on Twitter who were legitimately putting out better Photoshops on a routine basis than Florida State's uh, Photoshop team was. And I thought this was an area that could be addressed because it was just freaking obvious to everybody <laughs> who uses Twitter. And it's my job to notice stuff like that uh, just because I, you know, I cover the team and I, I cover recruiting. Well, uh, Kelly Campbell got hired. Kelly Campbell, better known to the Twitter crowd as K Camp Design uh, or K Camp, but yeah, uh, fantastic. Really happy for that guy. Does great work, and he's one of the one of the maybe four or five guys that it didn't take a whole lot of skill to to realize that he was uh, consistently putting out better product than that of which the uh, the official account was. I don't think that it. I, from my understanding, he's not been hired as like the new social media coordinator that they've been advertising for. I would, he, I, with all due respect to Kelly, I, I hope not. Right. No. Yeah. Uh, he's doing graphics for them, which they need help with. Which he's so very good. good at, and that seems like like a good good hire for that position. So, hey, positive news out of Florida State. That is something that at times in recent years we have had trouble uh, getting. So that that's that's very good there. Certainly, when it's uh, been tied to social media, it's been uh, few and far between. Uh, final, just general subject matter that we'll touch on. That is, uh, Bud, I believe you're headed up to Tallahassee here to uh, to witness the uh, phenomenon that is Saturday Night Live, uh, it, live and in person. Yeah, uh, so this is the Florida State big event. They did not do uh, big time June camps. I know we've we've discussed that a lot. If you're a new listener, just go back and listen to the past couple episodes. I think we've talked about that a good bit. Uh, I want to see Thomas Schrader there in person, right? I, I want to see Ward, the big tackle from Alabama. I, I want to see if they get the uh, the big offensive tackle up from Key West. They need to get some offensive tackles. That is clearly the number one position in this class. I also think they do need to go ahead and take another junior college kid and, and hit the transfer market again very hard this offseason, hopefully have more success than they did, than they did this offseason uh, in order to, to fix that line. Uh, I, I still maintain that that is a legitimate four-year rebuild. So in, in order to get back to being good, not like a leader, I think, just in order to be good, this being year two of that rebuild for that position. You, you can have a, a position that is a four-year rebuild without having a program that is necessarily a four-year rebuild. I think that's what Florida State largely is. Uh, running back, look, is, is, is Keziah Holmes going to come? I'm expecting him there. Is Jalen Knighton going to come? If he doesn't, I think you can basically kiss him goodbye and uh, and, and see him at Ohio State. Is Kevon Lee going to come up? Florida State has a ton of, of running back playing time to sell. This is not a question that that I put on the sheet, but a lot of folks have, have kind of asked me, like, why is Florida State having so much trouble recruiting running backs? Is, is it Coach Pimp? Is he that bad? And, and look, I, I don't think that he is. And it may not be a, be a popular position to defend Coach Pimp on, on social media, but – 
from all indications of previous stops, the guy can really recruit. I don't think he all of a sudden forgot how to recruit. I think I think that basically Florida State, Cam Akers last year was last in the nation in terms of yards before contact. This is an example, in my opinion, of where certain positions and their performance can bleed over into the recruiting of other positions, right? So, for instance, let's say there was a program out there that just could not get quarterbacks for a long, long time. Maybe it was a school, I don't know, 90 miles east, you know? Yep. That starts to affect receivers, too, because they're like, damn, who's going to throw me the ball? Well, if you're a running back, it's kind of who's going to block for me? Florida State does not have any top-level offensive linemen committed to them right now. They, they got a couple last year who were more highly rated. They've had a pretty bad offensive line for the last three years, with last year being just exceptionally magnitudes worse or orders of magnitudes worse than it was prior. Um I think that's going to be really important to get some of those running backs up there and have them talk with some of the young kids on the team, like Pope, obviously, has to be the leader of that going forward. And then also talk to some of the other recruits and say, hey, like this guy's not too bad. I I, I could run behind him. But running back and, and offensive tackle are really the ones I'm, I'm going to be looking for the most. Other than that, I'm, I feel very good about where Florida State is right now. I know there's a lot of talk about Marcus Fleming, the corner uh, out of Miami, I like him a whole lot. Obviously, Miami likes him a ton, too. And, uh, excuse me, I said corner. He's a receiver. I would continue to pursue the, pursue Fleming a lot simply because, you know, what if Ja'Kai Douglas, what if he gets a better offer? What if some of the out-of-state kids that LSU currently has committed, what if they bounce and all of a sudden they come back and say, hey, Ja'Kai, what's up? You, you want to stay in-state? And he's like, yeah, of course, because you're LSU and you want me. I'm basically, like, bound by the rules of, of – of science that I'm not allowed to lead the state. Yeah. I think it should be a pretty good camp. It clearly does not have the talent level that it did last year. Nobody expects it to after you go five and seven. And uh, they keep building the the foundation of this class. This, this camp should give me some indication of what the ceiling of the class could be. Fair enough. <clears throat> wouldn't be the uh, wouldn't even be the first position group that the offensive line has has bled into Florida State and made a, a little bit more of a challenge to recruit. Uh, back oh, when teams, about the video? I was gonna say back when teams actually felt that they had to negatively recruit Florida State before <laughs> the staff just quit. Uh, yeah, that was uh, something that we we I believe were one of the first parties to uh, bring to people's attention. But then they just realized, oh, they're not even recruiting these kids anymore. We don't need to <laughs> right. negatively recruit them. Yeah. Um, so. <laughs> oh, uh, gosh. Referenced just a second ago. We won't spend too much time going back in the time machine there. Uh, referenced it a second ago. We will jump straight into our listener questions here. And Trey asks, what have you heard? What have either of you heard? What do you know? What do you expect to happen with Jim Levitt? If he does come on board in some capacity other than D.C., how would you expect the dynamics of the staff to be? Would Barnett be looking over his shoulder 100% of the time? Do you believe Taggart sold? Uh, do you believe Taggart sold him eventually on replacing uh, Barnett? It's a little bit of a choppy sentence there, but I understand what he's saying. Would this pose further risk to staff continuity and trust? This seems to be a potentially significant development that I have not heard of all that much. So I'd love to hear your thoughts. Okay, so. I'll take these maybe not totally in order. Uh, I put out 
uh, word the other day that um, there's nothing official with Jim Levitt yet. Obviously, Levitt was a, a DC under Willie at Oregon for a year. I guessing they know some of the same people. I'm not guessing they they do know some of the same people from USF uh, who were USF boosters when Levitt was there and also when Willie was there. They have a lot a lot of people in common. I'm not sure that they're like best friends or anything like that, but I think they probably respect each other and their coaching ability. Um, I do not think this is going to be that that big of a deal for this year. Uh, my people told me that if Levitt comes, and I think he likely will, right? Not guaranteed, not a lock. Don't go, oh, Bud is definitely coming. I'm not saying that. Uh, he would be a, as a, a an analyst. Now, here's the deal. Florida State's compliance is not like compliance at some of the other schools. They're actually kind of strict. And so Levitt can't be out there coaching every day like some of these schools that, you know, have the athletic director coaching the offensive line, for instance, right? Like you could volunteer to do that, you know, maybe. Absolutely, um, yeah. Yeah, if you, if you pick up what I'm putting down. Anyway, um, I, I don't think it'd be that big of a deal. W- what is Levitt good at, right? Well, he's very good at at pressure packages out of the 3-4. What do we think Florida State's got to run some more of? Probably some pressure packages out of the 3-4, but also the 4-3. And he did run a good bit of 4-3 when he was at USF. In fact, they were, they were a primary four-down defense. Uh, how would it affect staff dynamics? Well, yeah, I bet you it probably would be a little bit weird for Harlan Barnett. Uh, ultimately, Barnett had a top 40 defense last year. His defense was much better than Willie's offense, like a lot. If Willie loses his job in the next couple of years, it will not be because of the defense, most likely, right? Uh, and that top 40 defense was a, a top 40 defense that had a lot of injuries in it and was kind of demoralized after a while because the offense kept putting it in really bad positions. Uh, however, it does need to improve. And I think this is a good move, assuming it happens, that Willie is, uh, is, is trying to make in order to get them as much help as possible. Would he be looking over his shoulder all the time? I, I don't know. I, I don't know what the da- dynamic is or would be between Barnett and Levitt. Uh, do you think Barnett, Taggart sold Barnett? Or uh, I see what you mean about a choppy sentence here. Do you think Taggart sold Levitt on replacing Barnett? I have absolutely no idea. I'm not going to speculate on that. Uh, would it pose further risk to, to staff continuity and trust if it happened? Potentially. I can't say definitively that it would not, but I can't say that it definitely would. So I, I'll just say uh, potentially on that. Yeah. I mean, it would be a really interesting move. And, and you bring up a good point that, uh, you know, you're not going to be able to maybe leverage uh, quite the, the shadow staff that some coaches do uh, at Florida State right now. Um, and, hey, look, just – Take this out of football. Put put yourself at a at a corporate job. If you're the director of sales and you're working with a CEO who's previously worked with a director of sales, and perhaps tried to even bring that director of sales onto a staff when he first took the job, uh, I think you're going to perk up and notice that uh, that that guy just suddenly got an office down the hall from you. Uh, I don't know how Harlan would respond to that or what he would uh, take that as. I don't know if I'd classify him as looking over his shoulder a hundred percent of the time, but that's not a move that's going to go unnoticed by your defense coordinator. So one thing that I was actually told last year was that there are some boosters who really, really like Levitt because they're Tampa guys. And it was expressed to me by this person they thought that like maybe these boosters liked Levitt even more than Willie did. I'm not saying this is a move that like 
isn't his idea or anything like that. I, I really don't know. But that conversation it just kind of stuck in the back of my mind a little bit. I was like, huh. You know, the the there are certain things you do sometimes to keep people in your corner, right? Especially if, if they're moves that, that are, are advantageous for you as well. It's an interesting situation. It would be, uh, I, I think in the long run, it would be nothing but positive for Florida State. Uh, I do think that probably there would have to be some kind of uh, communication with multiple parties involved as to exactly what your plans were and uh, what meant what he meant uh, upon bringing him on board. Um, so with that, we'll move to the uh, next question. I enjoyed this one. Uh, I enjoyed this one a lot, so I picked it out for you, bud, here. John asks, I'm a longtime Nolcast listener and an iTunes five-star raider. Appreciate it, John. Been a season ticket and booster for a long time, probably since either of you were born. As a student, I was in the stands when Lane Finner caught the, that ball to beat Florida. Yeah, you're probably probably correct in your assessment. Uh, But enough about demographics. I have a question. I consider myself to have at least an average knowledge of college football and above average knowledge of Florida State football, thanks in part to the Nolcast. But uh, am I the only one who doesn't know what a crystal ball is? Could you take a couple of minutes of airtime and explain crystal ball, what it is, who votes, what weights does it carry, etc.? Thanks. Uh, Keep up the good work. Go Knowles, John. Sure. Uh so crystal ball, I, I probably just threw, the, threw this term around a little too casually without explanation, and, and John is, is right to ask about it. Uh, it's a thing on, on 247, which is one of the recruiting sites, where like they take recruiting experts and they ask them where they think kids are going to go. Mine this year are absolutely horrible, uh, largely because I took about five weeks off. And that five week was like right during the middle of camp season and the opening and all that stuff. And uh, I really need to go through and do a lot of house cleaning, but I don't get paid by 247, so that is very low on my list of things I need to go and update at this point. And uh, if I get to it, I will. Uh, but I think I referenced it the other day about, about Arian Smith, and I said, yeah, I put this pick in uh, like last uh, last April, back when he was still at, at Mulberry. Um, but yeah, it's basically just a thing. So you, you pick where the kids are going to go. They judge you, I think, by percentage. Uh, it used to be different. I think the uh, they judge you by like like percentage you get correct and for how many days you were correct on it. So you don't get a whole lot of points, obviously, if you if you flip the pick right before the kid commits, because at that point, oftentimes the word is out. Uh, you used to get more points, I think, if you were first or second on something. So if you were like the eleventh person to pick a kid to go to a school, you didn't get very many points. Uh, I know some folks, I think, probably expose a little bit of a flaw in that system in that you could look at it and you could figure out, okay, if like 14 people picked the kid to this school and nobody picked him to this other school yet, if you thought there was any chance he goes to the other school, you should pick that school. Uh, basically, just, just playing long shot type odds on stuff that you thought might have been a little bit uh, underweighted relative to the market. Um, so anyway, that's that's really a tangent. But yeah, it's, it's just a tool on 247. I don't think that the overall percentages are that useful necessarily. I will use it sometimes to look at some stuff and say, okay, this person who I know covers this market or this state very well feels this kid is going here. How does this affect something else like that? And I, and I, I may reach out to somebody and say, hey, why do you think this kid's going here? I had heard he's going here, that type of thing. Um, so that's that's what the crystal ball is. And John, we really appreciate the five-star rating. And Lane Finner was a little bit before I was born. 
Uh, good times, good times. Uh, Ian writes, as I finish up my lunch with a dash of Louisiana's finest hot sauce, couldn't help but think of something. Bud constantly knocks the lack of high-level recruiting talent on the defensive line coming in under Taggart. I could be wrong, but doesn't this fall under Odell? We all love him, but am I missing something, or is it his recruiting that's lacking at the moment? If so, is that a change that you would ever see at the end of the following season? Uh, well, I certainly think that if somebody is slacking, you could make a change, but I don't know that I'm willing to say Odell is slacking. I think what you largely have here is that Florida State just went 5-7. and seven. And the year before, they needed a, a rescheduling thing to make a bowl game. And the year before that, they were largely disappointing, especially early in the year, and, and, and the national spotlight was pretty much completely off them. And the year before that was 2015, the, the Everett Golson year. So for the last four or five years now, this team has really not been very impressive. Um, well, I guess 14, they were pretty damn impressive, but still kind of up and down and um, – underachieving to some extent. So that makes recruiting tougher. Florida State's struggling in recruiting in a little bit of all areas uh, as far as the top end guys go. Certain positions have fewer, I would say, like ultra premium kids, and the battle for those kids is tougher. Along the line of scrimmage is where that is most pronounced. So I would just say this is mostly an impact of um, of the overall recruiting struggles that are magnified because those positions that that that, that uh, was it Ian or John, uh, I think Ian is asking about are, are the ones that that are the toughest to recruit anyway. The offensive line has the additional problem right now of having such a bad reputation, well earned, uh, that you know you have to overcome that, uh, overcome that as well, which they are trying to do. But no, I I don't think Odell is is like totally falling off, but I don't think he's untouchable or anybody would be untouchable if. They were falling off. I mean, it, it's it's your job as the head coach to put somebody in there who can recruit and who can do the job, period. Uh, in my opinion, Odell is still probably one of your three best recruiters. I don't think uh, he's going anywhere. Uh, Bud referenced it. I've said this for about a year or so. Uh, if you're going to win the signatures of, uh, of these guys, the real best of the best along the line of scrimmage, you got to have everybody in the program uh, on the same sheet of music and fully invested and uh, and and fully prepared to do everything possible to put your school in as a good a light as possible. And uh, at this moment, I'm just not sure that Florida State has all of the resources necessary to go and sign a, a Tim Jernigan or Eddie Goldman type of player right now. Yeah, I, I totally agree. Or Jalen Carter, you know, who's going to Georgia from Apopka. Um, by the way, Popka, man, that's a school Florida usually owns. And and Georgia coming in their backyard getting a five-star tackle after UF won 10 games last year. Man, they're they're on a little bit they're on a different level right now. It's yeah, uh, yeah, you don't want to get you don't want to get into a recruiting battle with Georgia right now. That's uh good luck in, good luck in it. All right. Uh, Trey asks, the team was almost unrecognizable when they wore the alternates last year. This, combined with the on-field suckage, really added salt to the wound. I get the recruiting aspect, but Willie did a poor job reading the room. For example, when you really suck, you can at least wear the uniforms or even the colors that evoke positive emotions and memories from the fan base. I uh, I admit I'm a dying breed traditionalist and that I prefer the 2013 and prior look with only very occasional alternates. Three questions. Is this Atlanta Trey, by the way, wrote this? I, I think it is. Um, am I alone in this in these sentiments? Uh, two, do you know Willie's uniform plan for this season? 
Will he temper the use of alternates at all compared to last year, or at least the helmet colors? Uh, do you believe the eventual plan is to go, quote, full out Oregon on us, at least to the degree FSU could ever afford? Signed, grumpy old man. I, I'll let you leave this one off. What, what do you think? Yeah, I don't know that these thoughts are necessarily reflective of a of a dying breed of traditionalists. I honestly think it's the majority of the fan base. I don't think you have to be uh, of a certain age or race or anything else to think that the 2013 uniforms are pretty freaking great and, uh, and still have tons of questions surrounding the whole ignition tradition debacle and uh, everything that went with it. I know... Uh, that at the time uh, that Jimbo took over, one of his earliest pledges to big money boosters, um, he made a lot of them, but one was that we were going to wear the uniforms. Uh, We weren't going to have a situation where we were playing NC State in some pro-combat uniforms trying to get eligible for a bowl game. Um, I can't speak that I know that Willie's uniform plan is. Maryland, sir. Uh, Maryland, thank you, thank you. The Greg Reed, uh, yeah, the the EJ Manuel Greg Reed game. Um, I would expect maybe some of the alternates to be pulled back slightly this year. That would that would be my prediction. Uh, no, I don't think Florida State is ever to a place where you're full out of Oregon because there's not many places that are full out of Oregon, and not too many places where the CEO went to school and uh, has that much of an interest in creating all these dynamic kind of uniform combinations. I I think you said it all. Like, I really don't have anything to add. I don't have any additional, like, inside information on what they're going to do uniform-wise. Um, a lot of different people have opinion on the uniforms. I think the two opinions on the uniforms, I will say, that I see are, are pretty consistent. Number one is we need to bring back the white numbers. The current uniforms with the gold numbers look too much like Boston College. And honestly, not too much, damn near identical. Yeah, like I a mean, you can put them up Boston next College. to each other, and it looks it looks ridiculous. Right. Uh, that is something that I do think you could probably have fixed next year. The other thing is is the helmet, and that I think they should wear the traditional helmet more often, and and not not screw with that a whole lot. So that's just my opinion. I don't think Florida State's uniforms are iconic at all. I really don't. They're they've changed a ton over the years. I mean, much much more than a helmet has, right? There's to me the iconic uniforms are the ones that really have not changed, like Penn State, Alabama, you know that that type of thing. Some schools have iconic helmets. Ohio State's helmet has not changed in what thirty or forty years, I would say. Probably they've had the Buckeyes on there for I mean, since since I've been watching college football. Florida State's uniform has changed a whole bunch of times, but their helmet has had the tomahawks on there for a long time. That, to me, is is what is iconic, and they really shouldn't screw with that a whole lot. I'm not a big fan of the black helmet. Um, I don't like the white helmet that, that you see in the recruit locker room sometimes. But I don't mind the New Jersey's quite as much. I just don't like the white number or the other uh, gold numbers. Yeah, we have slightly different opinions on the jersey. I think you bring up a good point. There's been a lot of transition there. I still think the 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 base set of you know garnet pants, gold jerseys, uh, uh, gold jerseys. Excuse me, garnet jerseys, gold pants, white numbers is a is a look that Florida State uh, is foolish to get away from. I absolutely agree with you about the helmet. I mean, 
We all remember the ESPN poll where I think 339 million people voted for the Florida State helmet. Uh, that wasn't rigged at all. <laughs> True voting numbers. Do you remember that, what happened think, with that? Dude, I think 88% of the North American continent at the time voted that Florida State had the best helmets uh, in college football. So, hey, there's a there's science behind that. It was uh, – that was incredible. So, for uh, – that was – that had to be – I was still in law school. So, what was that, like 08? It was 2009, 2008. Yeah. All right. So, uh, real quick aside because we're, we're running a little long, but this is a fun story. Have we told this on the show before? I don't know if we have. All right. For all y'all out there listening um, who weren't – on the internet back back in that in that age or, or paying attention back in that age. And I apologize for my AC kicking on. I did not uh, take my office off away mode. So I was down at IMG and I rolled in here and it was time to podcast and my office was like 85 degrees. So it, yeah. All right. So ESPN had this poll. It was like, who had the greatest helmet and some very enterprising folks on the shoe side design bots that you could download and basically install on your computer and it would constantly vote for you in the uh in the espn poll and so i think the first round was alabama or something like this it's hard to find now i've googled it before and florida state won that and by that point the bots had not spread too far and the gap between florida state and bama was pretty close if i recall because there's a lot of bama fans you know but ultimately over the course like the next two three weeks the, uh, the bots started to become a little more shared and more and more people started having them. And Florida State ended up going through the, the rounds and they were winning by increasing margins over some pretty iconic helmets. And it ultimately got down to, what, Florida State and Michigan, I think it was? And it was Michigan, right? I think it was, uh, I can't remember who. I think it was either Michigan or was it Bama in the final? August 14th, 2008, FSU Crown Champions. Uh, yeah, they, oh yeah, they, they did beat, um, it was Bama in the final, I'm sorry. So they said Florida State had over eight and a half million votes. Uh, and that was the one they actually released. So what happened here, right? I've got a, I've got a final count of 10,300,000, uh, it looks like. So, so, all right, Heather Denich ran this at the time, or at least kind of ran it, I remember, because I remember she was tweeting about it. So Florida State helmet held off the helmets of 1,500 schools, including uh, Texas, Michigan, USC. It defeated USF, Texas, and then Alabama on its way to win the title. That's right, because Michigan was, I think, in another bracket. Uh, and Bama beat Michigan, I think, to advance. And at that time, we were like, well, damn, because Michigan's online community is enormous. And they have MGO blog, which at the time was like six or seven Tomahawk Nation sizes. And TN was starting to get, you know, get rip-roaring back then. But Florida State racked up, it was a couple hundred million votes, wasn't it? It was, and at that point, I think we realized, oh my God, a lot of people have have downloaded the bot and are running it like nonstop. And so they're voting like every two and a half seconds or or whatever the bot ran constantly, 24 hours a day. And, uh, and so that, you know, it was very, uh. It was uh, it was brilliant. It was during a period of time where there weren't too many victories to be had in Tallahassee. But they pulled it down. Remember, they, they made them redo yeah, the I do remember they, they took said it down. Yeah. Seminoles.com. yeah, they said something happened here. Uh, and we're like, oh, well, I don't know what could have happened. This is crazy. <laughs> and, uh, I mean, certainly uh, more, more people that, more people than the country of Brazil have voted for four states. 
Good little memory. So they interview Bud Thacker about it. Um, they interview Terrell Buckley about it. They interview Bobby Bowden. They got the whole team together, by the way. Like like it, in the uh, in the old auditorium they room doing live during uh, college football live, if I remember correctly. Yeah. Oh yeah. So the uh, the iconic helmet. They got they got guys talking about it. I think they announced like eight and a half million people vote. I want to know how they came up with the number, by the way, like because they definitely. Yeah, I have the college football live show here. You can actually Google this. Just Google Florida State wins best college football helmet, college football live, and uh, you got you got Bobby and little Preston Parker in the background, and yeah, it's a it's a real moment in time there. I can't find anything on this being rigged, but this is just one of those things you got it. You know, if you if you if you remember, you remember. It was a like I said, it was a, a time for the uh, Florida State community where there weren't too many other other wins to otherwise be had. So it's a nice that's, moment. That, that that's for sure true. Um, I think technology and websites is a little bit better now. It's a little harder to do that, most likely. That was cool. That was a cool little aside there. Trevor, you want to you want to take Trevor's? Yeah, let's jump into Trevor. Then we'll uh, head to head to old buyer sell. All right, sounds good. All right, so Trevor says, uh, I've been a listener for show for about three years now. I really appreciate how you guys have improved the quality of the show pretty much every year that I've listened, even though the inverse is true, about the boys' play on the field. Be it through the audio equipment you use, shout out to Louisiana Hot Sauce, am I right? He is. Uh, or adding new segments like buy or sell and the introduction of the live podcast during games, I'd happily throw some money y'all's way to make that happen. That will probably still happen, I think. My question has to do with the decline in ticket sales that you guys have been mentioning every now and then since 2017, I believe. I know Bud has talked about it before, so forgive me if I'm asking something that you guys have already covered, but this, but is the university really surprised that fans are less willing to pay $600 a night for a hotel when the product on the field has been straight up terrible the last two years and has been in decline since, since 2014? If the ticket sales haven't caught the university off guard, uh, have they taken any steps to combat the high price of lodging and tally? Uh, I know they, they, they don't have much control over the pricing hotels in the city, but but could the reason for neutral site games like Boise and Jacksonville be because Jacksonville is easier for most Noel fans to travel to and hit up the Mads Hotel gate once they get there? Exactly right. Or does the neutral site have to do with an agreement between the two schools' athletic departments? Do neutral site games have a negative effect of any at all on recruiting? What do you think Florida State can do about all the factors that play into the, into the uh, declining ticket sales other than winning more games? Well, they could win more games. That would definitely help. I think they could put an internet. That's a big deal. I spoke about this on Twitter a little bit today, and uh, I've spoken about it before. Look, I think the easiest way to lose tickets in large chunks, other than just losing games or or doing things that are really not fan-friendly, is failing to queue up at the times. Because I'll just paint you a picture here, and I don't want this to sound sexist, so if, if if you want, insert the word husband for where I say wife here. But... Let's say you take your wife and, and your kids to, to the ball game, right? You have season tickets. You might be really into the game. Your wife might not be. Maybe maybe she is. Maybe maybe you're not. Maybe only one of your kids is. Well, now kids are and and, and parents and, and people are used to being able to have their devices, right? To be able to text their friends, look at Instagram, do do whatever, right? Even if they're enjoying it, they still want to be able to take a picture of themselves and and, and stunt on the gram and be like, hey, look look where I am. Florida State, it's very hard to get, get cell phone service in the stadium. They don't have Wi-Fi available for the fans. If you tell your wife, hey, I want you to go to this game with me and seven of these home games a year, I know you really don't like ball. You, you like some of, the, some of the moments. That's cool. 
and in, during the moments you really don't find all exciting, guess what? You can't use your phone. I know how that would go over my house, right? Probably yours too. And a lot of y'all out there. In fact, when I put this out on Twitter today, I had a lot of people respond exactly right. Yeah. like, But we know some NFL teams have it. Uh, it's not a be-all, end-all. Miami has, has it, and they, they still don't get fans. But I, I think that's a piece of it. Hotel prices, like you said, I don't think there's much they can do about that. That's really just supply and demand. That's when a lot of those hotels make their money. If you have more hotels come in, potentially that, that could be something there to you know increase supply. Might drop the price a little bit if, if you went to economics. That, that would seem to make sense. Okay, for the neutral site stuff, yeah, part of it is about being able to play games closer to fans. I'm not a huge fan of the neutral site games anyway, and sometimes it can be just like a vanity project for a person in the administration who is from that area. Maybe, maybe even this year is uh, is a reference there. So uh, I completely agree with you. I think Wi-Fi is a big deal. I know that when the Braves first brought uh, SunTrust Park online, they had some kind of stat like every person in the stadium could download the entirety of the Sopranos within a uh, ten minutes or something like that. I mean, it's it's a it's a, a stadium that's very much wired with that in mind, and that's not something that you can go back and do. Uh, immediately, but it, it doesn't mean that it's not possible. I would, I would, if you only had a section to first put that in, I would, I would give this to the students. To be honest with you, I know that doesn't necessarily help your most expensive tickets, but uh, I do think you have to address technology. Uh, you have to do everything that's possible, and this all comes back to a conversation that we seemingly have about once every three or four weeks when it comes to live sports. Next time you go to Costco, next time you go to Sam's Club or Walmart or Target or whatever else. Look at look at what five hundred and fifty dollars can can buy you, um, and then compare that and know that uh, know that that's probably what you will have spent before you even drive out of your driveway uh, to go to a Florida State game. Probably more than that uh, when you're looking at all your sunk costs for tickets, hotel, etc. Um, it's a it's going to be a challenge. It's not just a Florida State problem. Northwestern obviously has had a lot of traction this week with some of the comments that their coaches made. Georgia Tech uh, looks at it. Even even Georgia, a place where last year I think you could sell tickets for as absurd as a level as I've ever uh, as I've ever seen as a kid who's or an adult who's spent thirty five years in the state. Uh, nobody's immune to this. It's, it's going to be a situation that everybody has to deal with, and Florida State just has to be probably a little more, more cognizant of it because of some of the, the geographic challenges that we've spent a lot of time talking about this summer. Exactly right. Uh, look, it's also no – it should not be a surprise at this point. You're taking all the TV money. You're trying to make the product as TV-friendly as possible. <laughs> this is exactly what I was going to say. That so, comes at the expense of the in-person experience. Exactly, yeah, and you it's train people to you train people to watch it on TV. You degrade the uh, some of the other product. You put games on at Friday nights. That's not that's not for people to go watch and see in stadium. That's so that you can you fill another block today. Yeah, uh, nine o'clock games, nine a.m. games. Yeah. Okay. You know what people are doing at nine a.m. on a Saturday? Driving to driving to a noon game, right? Like like who's going to drive down for a nine a.m. game? And and if you're local, you might go to your your kid's soccer game on a Saturday before you actually go to the football game. I the the, the quality of the in person product has not kept pace with with the progression of the quality of the TV product. I think that is a direct reflection of. Schools, not just Florida State, but just across country, taking for granted that people always come to games uh, and investing a lot of their time and money 
to make the product on TV better because that's where they get most of their money, right? Like the money Florida State gets from ticket sales pales in comparison to what they get from, from TV. It's not close. Real quick pause here to thank our friends at uh, For the Table Restaurant Group, Madison Social in particular. Again, want to remind people of the Boise State tailgate that uh, we will be a small part of, but the uh, Madison Social uh, hospitality professionals that they are are throwing on Saturday the 31st, uh, starting at noon. So, again, want to remind people this is a, uh, an event. Uh, hosted by uh, people that have been in the hospitality industry for 15 years uh, at a minimum of uh, significant experience in uh, event and game planning and uh, 27,000 square feet of, a, of an air-conditioned kind of a tailgate playpen for us to all kick about as we get ready for the uh, Boise State-Florida State game held in lovely Jacksonville at the end of August. So I uh, want to uh, remind you as to where you can go and get those tickets. That is FSU jackstailgate.com again fsu jax tailgate.com uh two different options option one is a tailgate entrance two drinks twenty dollars option two entrance two drinks and a plate of food uh food will be served from noon to 6 p.m so uh want to remind all of our listeners of that and look forward to seeing as many of y'all as possible y'all it's gonna be fun i'm gonna be there ingram's gonna be there Probably throw back a few. Not going to be a huge drunk fest. Not like an all-you-can-drink. You know, everybody try to black out before the game thing. We, we want you, if you want to drink, you want you want to be able to do that. That's awesome. If you want to be able to take your family there, we want to make sure the atmosphere is good for them as well. This is, this is a 27,000-square-foot legitimate indoor building with real AC. It is going to be hot as heck in Jacksonville. It might rain. Being indoors for this, having a, a an indoor facility with tailgate games and, and bar games and all that stuff, and, and other TVs going on. That's going to be fantastic. This is tailgating and hospitality professionals. This is what they do for a living. Go with the best. See us there in Jacksonville. We got a lot of questions tonight, but we don't have unlimited time. Uh, so you want to go buy or sell? Yeah, we'll go buy or sell. The, there's a couple questions here that I'm going to save that I think are particularly good ones. Uh, buy or sell brought to you by our friends at Resolution Home Loans. Uh, Bud has uh, done a fantastic job speaking of his own firsthand experience of speaking, or, uh, speaking of and working with uh, Shannon and Chad. Just fantastic people, guys that we're fortunate to be able to work with. Uh, happy to be able to announce that we've uh, pretty much finalized them as a partner with us uh for the upcoming year and we may be able to even have some some bonus content directly tied to our friends at, at resolution so uh, but i'll let you give the information but again want to uh remind our friends uh or remind our listeners that uh, this segment in particular is brought to you by resolution home loans absolutely and uh, we should also give a shout out to edward i think he is our 25th closing uh through resolution home loans uh shannon hit me up today Shannon Young, that's the guy, 844-FSU-LOAN or FSUHomeLoans.com that you need to hit up for your mortgage or refinance needs. He said, hey, we have another happy closing this Friday. Here's the borrower's info. I'm not going to read that live on air, but uh, he he's getting an XL t-shirt. As you know, if you do do your, your uh, loan through resolution, I send you out a t-shirt. And uh, man, Shannon is just, just racking up the miles on my truck here going to the post office and back. And uh, I, I probably need to get stamps.com or something to, to stop having to go to the post office, send all these, all these t-shirt packages off. This is, uh, we're just cranking these out, man. It's pretty cool. All right. 844-FSU-LOAN-FSU-HOMELOANS.COM. You guys know where to go and bonus content to come soon. So buy or sell. Jeremy asks, 
and you know the game. We say buy or sell, and then we give a brief a brief explanation. FSU will reduce penalties by ten percent. Yeah, I'll buy this. I think there's a lot of lot of easy stuff that you can clean up. Ten uh, percent's probably a a little bit of a larger number um, than you first realize. But uh, yeah, I will I will take Florida State to do this. So uh, I wrote uh, November 25th last year, uh, digging deeper into Willie Taggart's pattern of penalty problems. A little bit of a tongue twister there. His teams have had three horrendous penalty seasons and all have come in season number one at whatever school he was at. And uh, he actually, his teams have improved uh, dramatically in terms of plays per penalty uh, in in successive years when he's been at a school multiple years at, at WKU, but especially at USF. So USF, the first year, and they were committing a penalty every 14.6 plays. All right. Next year, it was every 21.2. So they went from 102 penalties to 75. That's a big drop. That's much, that's much better than 10%. The next year, it was one every 23.2 plays. Uh, and the next year, it was one every 24.2. So they, they really cut that down. Um, I mean, by by a lot. Uh, that's that's pretty solid. Willie does seem to have a very much uh, a pattern of first year he gets to a place his, his teams are, are very heavily penalized, like last year, worst in the nation, and <laughs> hard to get worse than that. And then, But also a pattern of steady improvement. So that is one of the areas I'll be monitoring early and often this year to see. I mean, game one is probably not going to give us a great, a great read because you need a better sample set. But yeah, I'm going to buy as well. I probably rambled there, but it was a cool article. Go check it out. Uh, Brock writes, uh, B-R-O-C, uh, writes, FSU plays the game in Boise next year. I guess I'll go first on this one. I'm going to buy. I don't think that Florida State wants to buy that out, just money-wise, and I, I think they'll go ahead and play it. Yep, uh, I think it's a, a bad move to ever get involved in that. I think it's a question, but... Uh, Florida State is not in a place to write checks for games uh, that they don't want to play in right now. And I absolutely uh, fully believe that they will uh, make the trip, play, play on the blue turf, and uh, will fulfill their contractual uh, agreement there. Andrew writes, will FSU have a top 10 class in 2020 and a top 5 class in 2021? Ooh, okay. Uh because they, because this is put together, I'm going to just go ahead and say sell. Uh, not that I don't think I can get in the top ten for this year. I think that's possible. Top five right now, considering what Clemson, Georgia, uh, Bama, and Ohio State are doing, they're, they're basically going to take four, four of the five spots, I, I think, for the foreseeable future, unless one of them has a really weird uh, attrition or, or lack of spots issue. So that, that for, for that reason, I'll, I'll sell. Top five at this point with, with, with how they're recruiting – is uh, is is seemingly difficult. Top five with the four schools that you mentioned, and then when you uh, take into account what uh, Jimbo Fisher likes to do on the recruiting trail, and what uh, University of Texas looks uh, to have potentially uh, the ability to do in the next couple of years, yeah, that that's getting into top five is going to be a real challenge for Florida State right now. And LSU now too, by the way, is not screwing around anymore. Uh, they they've kind of kicked it into gear. And we're not just talking about locker rooms. LSU's wanting to want to not lose to Alabama for another three years in a row, uh, most certainly. All right, uh, next one comes from John. An FSU running back will rush for 800 or more yards. 
I will uh, I, I will buy this and kind of mildly confidently uh, buy this, John. I, I expect that to happen. I'm buying this as well, man. I, I, I fully expect this to happen. I think Cam Akers is going to run hard, and I think the offensive line will open up enough holes to get 800 yards. I, I like how we don't have some crazy number like 1,400 yards or something. 800 is something I feel like like it's not a lock, but but I, I feel good about saying saying bye. Adam asks, uh, Clements makes the offensive line bad to mediocre. For new listeners, that is uh, new offensive line coach Randy Clements. And uh, I'm going to go ahead and buy this one, too. I think this is a reasonable expectation. If you have not read this, this is not on ESPN. This is David Hale doing his work on, on, his, on his own blog. David Hale is a really sharp guy and, uh, and somebody else should read. He did research, basically, on what happens when an offensive line – like a powerful offensive line is like one of the five or 10 worst in the entire country. And he went back quite a ways. And it's really good research. And I'll admit it's not perfect because it, it, it's hard to account for all the different personnel variations and, and, and schedules and stuff. But basically what he found was like, if you're like 125th in the country, you're not going to improve to 50th next year on the offensive line. It's just not, you're not going to make that big, big jump to average. It just doesn't happen. Right. I guess in theory, it could happen if you went and got a whole bunch of new grad transfers. Florida State failed to do that adequately, as we've noted, uh, and, and which limits their ceiling for this year. I, I guess also their floor in some ways. He found that generally, like, you can go from, like, absolutely terrible to bad. Maybe to below average. But getting to average is, like, a huge and unlikely jump, which, without having that data, is something that we've been saying for a long time. But the questioner asks us, Buy or sell. Clements takes the offensive line to bad, or offensive line bad to mediocre. Now, do you think he's asking us, like, will it go from bad to mediocre, or do you think he's asking us, will the offensive line go from what it was to somewhere in the range of bad to mediocre? I uh, that's the way that the the second reading of it is the way that I first interpreted that. Uh, it very much impacts I think my that, answer. Yeah, the. I, I, see what you're getting at here and i will choose to believe that that adam believes that the current offensive line state is uh is not just bad but uh really really bad all right so if he's asking will it go from what it was to somewhere between bad and mediocre then i will buy alternatively if he's saying will it go from bad to mediocre like will he get to average this year then i will sell that very hard uh, Don asks, FSU finishes equal or better position in the Atlantic than UF does in the East. Yeah, interesting little question here, Don. That's a good question, Don. All right, so Florida, I think, was picked second in the East at SEC Media Days. Florida State was picked, I think, third, yeah. right? Yeah. Uh, behind Syracuse. Florida State does have to play uh, the top two teams in the Coastal which is kind of one of the reasons I don't think this schedule is as easy as people think. Uh, like that's the worst draw you could have from the coastal floor state. Like you have you're you have to play the two I mean, most likely teams to win the coastal from the other division. But yeah, I don't know. If this is quite the slam dunk people think because Florida has to play LSU and Auburn from the other division, which could knock them down a little bit. Meanwhile, Missouri's schedule looks pretty like like it looks easier. They could finish in second. I don't think Tennessee has much of a shot to finish in second. I think South Carolina will be improved, but I'm not entirely sure South Carolina 
is going to be like that level of improved. And, and look, Georgia has won every single SEC East game by 10 plus points for the last two years. Something not even Clemson has done within the Atlantic. So for that reason, and, and I think there's a lot of teams that could finish second in in the Atlantic. Uh, you know, Q's obviously NC State. I think w- people are sleep, sleeping on Wake a little bit, to be honest. I will sell this, but it, it's not a hard sell for me. It's it's interesting. Yep, uh, I'll actually buy this. I think the Florida State go. finishes uh, equal or better than Florida uh, in the East. Don, that's a that's a really good question. So uh, hat to you there, uh, unique and uh, appreciated. Not that uh, it, trust me. If we read your question, it's because we think there's something there. Uh, we we get a ton of these. Uh, have to try to sort through them and uh, not trying to knock anybody. But that's a little bit of something different than what we've seen over the past couple of months. Uh, Geronimo asks offensive S and P. Over 50. All right. Well, last year they were 96th. So that would be a really, really big jump. Oh, boy. Over 50. In my head, it's just so hard for me to think an offense that has Cam Akers and, and Tamari and Terry and, 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 and Treshawn and Matthews and, and, and all those dudes on it, right? And, and a quarterback we've seen play at, at, at like an average level in Blackman. Um, over the season as a starter, couldn't crack the top 50. And then yet, I remember I watched last year's season (laughs) when they had all that, basically. Maybe I'm a crazy optimist. I I know you're probably going to be smart and go under here and say no here. I'm going to buy this. I I think they can make that leap from 50th to – or from 96th to 50th. Not like a lot more, but – but I, maybe they can sneak in and we'll be like, damn, from 96 to 47. That is incredible. Yeah. yeah. Uh, my opinions, Florida State finishes somewhere between 50 and 60 here. Uh, so I've, I've got to sell this. Uh, I think they improve. I think they improve uh, fairly dramatically. Uh, but I'm, I'm not sure they, they quite get to that level. So here's something for you. Uh, Carl says, this is the best offensive line talent Clements has ever had. Now, he was at Baylor. And he was at uh, FAU and at Houston, basically following Bryles uh, the whole time. They're, they're a bit of a package deal. I think – did I go first last time? Uh, yeah, I believe you did. Okay. So you're, I you're will, up on this uh, I'll sell this. I, I think some of the general conversation uh, that I hear – I think people somewhat undersell some of the pieces. I'm, I'm not saying he was working with a bunch of all pros previously, but uh, it would – Look, this this there's some pieces there. There's uh, obviously the the opening subject of the podcast surrounds uh, a really talented freshman on the offensive line. Uh, I would pump the brakes a little bit to suggest that this is the best offensive line talent Clemens has ever worked with. So uh, here's something for you. I was going to spike this question, and I agree with you completely. I, I I'm, I'm selling this. I think he's better at, at better players. Uh, at FAU, at Houston, and at uh, at, at Baylor, um, but more importantly, not only do I not think this is this is accurate, he's also very clearly never had a bigger gap between the quality of players he has and the quality of players in the league that he has to block. <laughs> Are you telling me there's no late 2000 Big 12 defenses on this schedule? Right, exactly. Like yeah. what he had, what he had at Baylor block. I mean, go go look at the defensive line draftees that the Big 12 was producing 
when Texas and Oklahoma were really screwing around on defense because the other teams weren't really picking up the slack back then. All right? There's not a whole lot of defensive studs on the D-line coming out of, of, of the AAC, which is Houston's conference, or, or, or CUSA, FAU. The gap, that gap is absolutely enormous because the ACC does produce a lot of really good defensive linemen, and there's a lot of them in the league this year. Unfortunately, Florida State, a lot of them are actually on FSU's schedule. They got to play Virginia. They got to play Miami. They got to play Cuse, which probably has the best DNs in the conference and, and, and one of the best pairs in the nation. They got to play a team called Clemson, and, and they got to play a few other teams that are, are also pretty good up front. The gap between what he has and what he has to block, I'm. I'm pretty damn confident that he has not had a gap anywhere near that close of a, a deficit, to be clear, a deficit gap anywhere near that close, I will say, in the last 10 years. I'm not qualified to comment on what Clements had back in like 05 or, or 02 or whatever, but I'll say in the last 10 years, I'm, I'm very confident that he has not had a gap this bad or anywhere close to this bad. Full agreement. Uh, next question is Florida State able to hold on to the talking point of zero commitments through this recruiting cycle? Uh, decommitments, Anchor. Dec- <laughs> zero. <laughs> we would be That's podcasting good, uh, every day if, if, they had, be, if they had no commitments. Uh, whew, that'd be a tough – that'd be many a podcast, but a, a tough one to walk through. Florida State is able to hold on to the talking point of zero decommitments. Yes, uh, significant edit made there. Uh, I will go ahead and go first, and I'll say sell. Uh, I think they probably will have a decommitment or two. It is noteworthy that they have not had any any decommitments yet. I think that's very positive for them. It does show that the kids they're taking are generally not taking out visits elsewhere, that that they're very much all in on the program. And I think it's given them a little bit more clarity this year uh, and ability to control the narrative. There's obvious downsides to their policy of not letting kids take official visits elsewhere. If you're committed to Florida State, we went over that. I think a couple months ago, and uh, yeah, I, I. But still, no decommitments in a cycle in, in this day and age is, is not going to happen. Uh, what what he said, absolutely. Uh, second to last is uh, Hornybrook plays more than a hundred meaningful snaps this year. Okay, uh, I'm going to go ahead and uh, and buy this, largely because of what we talked. And I do not think that there's like a serious competition between between Blackman and Hornerbrook. I, I don't really buy that. Look, maybe Hornerbrook magically transformed into a good quarterback just from leaving Wisconsin, going to Tallahassee. Kind of doubt it. His numbers and production at Wisconsin were absolutely terrible when you actually drilled down into him. Really good offensive line, elite level run game, uh, got to throw off play action a lot, and yet was still just a bad player. He's, in my opinion, he's here for depth. Now, if he beats out Blackman, uh, I'll reserve judgment a little bit, but my initial concern is going to be that's not good, <laughs> right? Because we've seen a lot of this, and it, it's ugh. Um, maybe it would mean the Blackman had a, had a second second consecutive bad uh, bad fall camp. I don't think that's going to happen. I think I think James Blackman's your starter. However, what we just mentioned about the talent deficit between what Florida State has and what Florida State has to block uh, means Blackman will probably get hit a lot. He's not a guy that gets rid of the ball super fast, despite that being something that I think Kendall Brown's offense requires a lot. And uh, they're going to try to work with him as much as they possibly can on that to to speed that release up. But 100 meaningful snaps is basically, hey, maybe maybe you lose Blackman for a game. Six quarters. There's about about 75 right there. That's how how I broke it down. Does he get six, six quarters of meaningful play? Yeah. 
I'm, I'm going to go ahead and buy this just because it's hard to make it through the season healthy. It's really hard when you have these guys blocking for you. Very. So we had one more come in uh, over the course of the podcast. I thought it was good enough, bud, that I would uh, force it in here. Sean writes, uh, that's a good question, Sean. Buy or sell, the fan base and national media's perspective about Willie would be significantly different if Jimbo would have lost to Syracuse in 2017, uh, which would have brought about the end of the bowl streak. I'm trying to remember that Syracuse game in 2017. Okay, I, I know what he's talking about. Uh, buy, clearly. Uh, because missing a bowl, having that streak end, would, I think, more effectively set the national table for people to understand across the country what actually was happening within the program. It would also potentially make it easier for Willie to sell a little bit different message when he came here. Now, he did have to balance the factor of selling season tickets, right, and getting people to come to the games, which was a major issue in getting excitement. So I don't think he could have gone all Scott Frost and told folks, hey, this is going to get a lot better before it gets worse. And I don't think he actually believed that, by the way. I think he misread that team, as we talked about before. I think there were some things that happened that he probably could not have anticipated, uh, for which I will not fault him. Um, But he could have tempered the message a little bit, I think, if Jimbo had missed a bowl game that prior year, but they rescheduled that that game and and they ended up getting on uh, to the bowl. So I I guess, man, I'm talking too much. Bye. Yeah, I've got to buy this as well. I, th- I think it's a good question. I think it uh, brings a different uh, or a little bit more clarity as to how people would respond. And, and maybe it would take, uh, I don't know exactly how to say this, maybe it would take some of the, the rose-colored glasses that sometimes people look at in the, the final couple years of the Jimbo Fisher era uh, off. But uh, uh what happened happened uh and willie did have the season that he did last year and he's uh accountable for it but uh yeah i do think there'd be a little bit of a ship a shift in perspective uh had florida state had a, a record in 2017 that would have kept them from a bowl game uh hey guys if you'd like the show please give us five stars on itunes it really helps us reach new listeners what also helps us reach reach new listeners just word of mouth right if you're if you're on twitter or facebook or, or instagram whatever you want to mention us that's awesome. We, we love that. And, uh, you know, if you made it to this point in the show, I mean, that's over an hour. Gosh, I don't know how long this will be edited to, but certainly over an hour of content. You must have enjoyed it. Tell somebody about it. Pass us on and uh, help our numbers continue to grow. We really appreciate it. Our listeners help make the show.